Welcome to Behind the Biz, conversations with artists and entertainment. I'm your host, Megan Mason. Please subscribe here on YouTube and don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Now, on to the show. Hello! How are you? I'm good. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Behind the Biz. I would like to introduce you today to my fellow colleague in the wig and entertainment land, Richard Krams, who's coming to us from Denver. How are you? I'm good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yay, January. uh, What are we on? The third? Yeah, already. (laughs) This year is going to fly by. I want to tell people a little bit about um, your proper introduction, especially for those listening on the podcast. Um, Richard has over 30 years uh, in the industry. He is a master barber, which I think is very cool. Um, he is a wig maker, wig designer. He does hair. He is an educator and uh, still works in production as well. Um, his full bio uh, is available on the description and bonus I'm going to post some very cool photos of the wigs in the making for Hedda Gobbler that he was working on at Denver University, correct? Yes. Uh, they're beautiful, and he was kind enough to send over the footage, so I want to share that so people can see, especially the ladder, uh, the updo that you have, and then it's a ladder piece, L-A-D-D-E-R, if you're just listening, um, that turned out so gorgeous. Human hair? Synthetic. Um, it was a blend. Hmm. It was a blend. Um, you know, we we have to adapt to budgets, as we know, from venue to venue. Um, we were trying to go with with uh, something a little more realistic. They didn't they didn't want a lace line on her. Um, there, it's a it's a really adaptable space that they have in the Byron Theater at at Newman Center down at DU. Um, but she, since they were going to do some filming, she's like, I really don't want a lace line on her. Can we can we make a piece? So um, we darkened her down and darkened her to the hair that was selected, and um, it was a, a blended, uh, blended weft. Um, and of course, we know that when we work with uh, hair that is blended or synthetic, that um, you will you will style it differently. Um, you will steam the life out of it to get it to bend, and you know all those things that come into play. But um, we love the fact that we were able to incorporate, you know, some of her hair into it and have this piece to put on. And oh, it, it looked beautiful. Fun. Thank you. It was it was great fun to, um, you know, to be able to to put something up there in the middle, <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic, and hope and pray that, you know, we would get to um, achieve something, you know, even on a smaller scale with it, you know, which uh, we were we were able to so. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you told me that you guys were working on a show, I was so excited for you because I I miss uh, live theater so much. And, you know, all of the protocols were in place and and wishing and hoping. I know they had to, to pause that production. Uh, we were talking a little bit before that you think that they were able to finish uh, filming it. Obviously, it wasn't for a live audience, but Right, right. It was it was closed um, to the students and all of the production team and some educators only um, for photos and archival. And then literally on the quote opening night, um, they came into uh, the, the green room and dressing rooms and wig and makeup room and said, um, 
we've had a, a student test positive and we have to shut this down. Um, the numbers had been going up um, in Colorado. And uh, so we took a pause. Um, <clears throat> luckily everything was done. Photos had happened. And then they said, okay, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna come back and we're going to film it, but it's strictly going to be all run by the DU staff and students. So anybody who was contracted, you know, we had to, I haven't seen the film portion of it yet, but um, um, I'll, I'll, find, I'll, I'll work my magic uh, to get uh, my, my copy of that. They've, they've been very good to me. So it's, it's a great place to, uh, to be able to go and do some work and some great, great people working down there, uh, formerly from Denver Center for the Performing Arts, where I used to work for a number of years. Um, some people were, were just on this project, and then there's some people um, that are, you know, working down there uh, full-time um, mm. teaching. And uh, just a great, a really great uh, three-year program down there, um, and a really beautiful facility. Oh, I love that. I can't wait to, I hope that you will share with me the video whenever it uh, oh, yeah. comes to fruition. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. <laughs> now, Denver is not uh, where you were born and raised. You started out in hair, well, you were born and raised in Baltimore, but then mm -hmm. that's where you got your feet wet in the hair industry, Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, I went to barber school first. I love um, that because barbering, yeah. I think, is um, almost a lost art as well. Um, and so I just, I just love that. I just want you to know that. Um, and in those days, because that <laughs> was a long time ago, but in those days you, you did your initial training and then uh, you tested and got a journeyman's license and you had to work for 18 months under a master barber and then go and take your master barber license so there was there was you know the whole straight razor shave there were these 17 different strokes to the face and the whole face prep and all the clipper work and the shear over comb i mean you and there was the standard you know thing that they wanted you to do but you had to do it very well and there's also a written test um but everything was live on a live model then everything was so wow. you had to really practice and have it down or uh, you were not going to get uh, that license. And I worked in barber shops for a little while um, and then transitioned into salons that were starting to, you know, to merge both men and women together. Originally they called it unisex. That is such an old term, but that's what <laughs> they called it. And uh, you know, you had women in your chair and you, and you were, you were cutting women's hair, which, um, from the hairstyling perspective, the approaches are definitely different. <laughs> and uh, then went and went, I went back to school uh, and went through a cosmetology program to learn more about women's hairstyling and, and all of the color work and chemical work that we weren't doing in men's hair then. Men's hair now is so freaking cool. These barber shops that are popping up all over the place. <laughs> And they're doing work that I wished we were doing back in the 80s. You know, in the 80s, you got to think about men's hair. You know, we had <laughs> we had mullets and we had, you know, spikier looks, things that were kind of geometric looking somewhat. There was but awesome we, hair. Yeah, there was awesome hair, especially women's. 
but but like all of the high and tight fading they're doing now and um we didn't have as much facial hair in the wow. 80s but you know they got very groomed facial even the guys with the long lumberjack beards it's very groomed and the shave shops came back yeah you know after i i you know we didn't do all this shaving in the 80s we really didn't some clipper work but not shaving with with blades and and that came back and they've got like you know a pool table in them, and and there's there's one um, just up for me in in Loveland that is both a barber shop and a whiskey distillery. I'm not kidding. See, I'm they not, they think there's a place mm, here. Um, yeah, that's called like Tune Up or something, and it's for men to go and get their hair done, but also they do nail services for men. So they don't feel like they're going, but they start yeah. here. Oh yes. And yeah. what a great idea because mm -hmm. I mean, let's be honest, guys should get pedicures too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more than girls. <laughs> yeah. Go, we, we, we tend to ignore our, our feet and, and our hands. Um, yeah. but, you know, then, then the summertime come. <laughs> Yeah, my dad just got his first pedicure uh, like a month ago. You know, we were like, go at like eight o'clock in the morning and wear a mask and you know, all this stuff. And he came home and he was like, Megan, that was like the most amazing thing. It's like, yeah, they're awesome. But it is true, all of these these um, salons that are opening catering to men and to get them in there. What an interesting concept as a, as a, a barber and stylist. Totally. The, men, the men's grooming business has just, I mean, it's just exploded and it's, it's very cool um, because the, 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 the work options are, are much bigger now than, than what they were. I mean, in, in little Loveland, Colorado, just North of me on the fourth street there, which is like part of the old downtown section that they've restored. There's like five or six barber shops and a couple of hair salons just in a two block radius there we were up my wife and i were up there um just very recently and i was like oh my god yeah so it's it's happening all over it's become cool again mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah very cool um how did you go from so you were in baltimore and then you went and worked in dc for a while which mm -hmm. i love dc yeah uh, i'm very overdue for a trip there um but then you always wanted to be in the West. Yeah, yeah. East Coast, um, it's like you, I was born and raised there, but it was never my groove. Um, I am thankful that I am the son of two educators, public school educators. And in the 60s and 70s, it was very cheap to pack up the car and go live on the road during the summer. So um, we, we did that. And my folks were really big about uh, taking my sister and I to see all these, you know, historic places in, in the United States, Canada, Mexico, uh, U.S. Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, um, all the national monuments, the national parks. Um, and we, we, a lot of it we did camping. Most of it was camping because it was affordable for a family of four to do that, plus the dog, you know. And, uh, <laughs> And I'm so thankful, but when we came to the West, it was like this whole other world. I mean, it was like an ocean of land, this whole other world. And um, 
once my sister and I saw it, I was like, I don't, I, I'm going to live here. I don't know when that's, but I'm going to live here, somewhere out here um, when I'm old enough to do so. And uh, I did start leaving and returning. There was a period of time between 18 and 24 where I was leaving and returning Colorado, Montana, um, and then finally, um, came back here and the last time I left, I call it, I, like I was saying earlier, I, I call it the year I ran away from home, but I was 24 <laughs> um, and I moved here. And then uh, a year later I met my wife and not long after that we were married and then became parents and, and settled my career here, oh. which it's been great. Isn't that crazy? You just know. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, there's something called astral cartography, hmm. which which uh, it's it's like astrology, but it has to do where where your lineup is in in landmass areas um, around the world, um, and so there are certain places you're you're meant to go in life and meant to be in life um, for various reasons, um, and this this definitely was <laughs> the place I was supposed to be. That is super fascinating. Yeah. I'm going to look that up because yeah. I feel like um, probably similar to the feeling you had when, when I moved to Los Angeles, uh, I was 20, just turned 22 to go to the Westmore Academy there um, and to do makeup for film and television. And I remember driving with my dad, uh, we got into California and we went near this gas station. Like I could tell you exactly what it, it looks like right now. It was a gas station and like a big giant oleander. And I just remember having such a sense of peace and like, Oh, I'm back home. Mm -hmm. I've never been there. I mean, mm -hmm. I visited once, you yeah. know, and the whole time I lived there, which was uh, only about five and a half years, despite it being hard and, um, poor and all of these things, yeah. uh, it still feels like my second home, even though I was in Vegas for longer. Um, but yeah, that's super interesting. I want to look into uh, astral cartography. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It's pretty right. fascinating. Yeah. There's something about that. And when you kind of know you're on the right path, mm -hmm. you know, how are you staying inspired during this time? I mean, you definitely have had a technical curveball this year. Yes, uh, teaching students hairstyling online, high school students hairstyling online. Well, how's that going? Um, <laughs> you know, there's there's the the pro to it that um, technology is their world. It is their world. True. So um, they're able to help me with with things that that I might struggle with. You know, how do I do? Da, da, and they'll just tell me because they already know how to do it. It's like you know, the back of their hand. They it's just they just do it. <laughs> um, so there've been. Uh, those things that have been cool. Um, but then there's certain skills where it's like, you know, I need to be right behind you to see this. And I, and I, and I can't, I I've like got a screen and, and we can do what we can do with a screen and, and, you know, individual snapshots that they can send me, which, which they're having to do for, you know, all of, all of the practical. Um, but there's also there's that and then it's that that person to person element, the personal care services where the personal needs to be. And I can't recreate that world for them 
in in one dimensional <laughs> technology. It's just not going to happen. Um, so we're we're doing it though. We're we're making it happen, and um, the year has been progressing along. Um, we weren't able to open the salon. School district said nope because um, we're a public school. So we have we have different different guidelines to to uh, to follow for that. Right. Um, so that's that's been unfortunate. But um, in a previous year, I was able to order ample supply of mannequins. So, um, you know, we have, we have heads to work on and they've got family members and friends at home. And some of them have been taking that step to move beyond. Um, and I've been encouraging it with all the parents. Um, the, the next phase that happens, uh, over the next couple of months is teaching, teaching chemicals online, perming, relaxing, hair oh. color. Yeah. All of that. So I sent out a, a letter today, um, uh, including all of the parents in it, along with the students, to let them know that they need a space for chemicals to happen. Yeah, because they're gonna. <laughs> some parent is gonna be very surprised by that term. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because there's gonna be odors and there's gonna be mess, and I'm letting them know now that they they need they need to create a space for that to happen. So um, ready to fly on it. We have, you know, chemical kits that have to go out and pick up dates for things throughout the year. I mean, it, it's happening. Um, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful that it's happening. Um, because at, in the beginning, we were all, you know, just kind of scrambling with, you know, how are, how are we going to do what we do, you know, in a virtual world? Because um, we didn't start out having kids in there. We were online and then we got to have partial live and then the numbers went up. So we went back to live and we'll be live until the week of the 19th. Um, and then we're going back to um, four days, four days live an AM class, PM class, because I have it's, it's a two year program that I teach. And uh, the Mondays will still be an online thing. This is really awesome that this is a program that's in a public school that's so in depth. Um, Boulder Tech in Boulder, Colorado has often been referred to as Boulder's best kept secret. Um, I don't want it to be a secret. I want <laughs> everyone to know that um, our cosmetology department, which has been in business since 1967, wow. is still doing the biz, still doing the biz in Boulder County. It is an awesome program. Um, I, I, again, I feel extremely fortunate to be working with an incredible staff, Jennifer Ball as esthetician, Angeline Espinoza teaching our nail class. Um, they're both incredible educators. Um, I teach the hairstyling program. It's a two years. Theirs each is a one year, pending when the students can start and if they get ahead on their, their high school credits, they might be able to pass through all three programs and get the full cosmetology. Um, we hope someday to add a barber program. Would love it. Would love it. Um, but they have, I mean, they have auto and collision, they have welding, they have construction training, wow. they, they have um, forensics and crime scene investigation. Yes, yes, totally. Um, they have an anatomical body. She's anatomically correct um, cadaver. She's not real, but she, I mean, she looks real. And um, they keep her in this thing with all this liquid. It's very cool. They have that going on. Um, it's just, it, it's a really unique tech school to be working in. 
Um, and kids can go to school there all day for their academic if they don't want to be in, in, a, in a regular high school situation. Um, so we offer that as well on, on the Arapaho side. But um, That is so cool. Yeah. And I just, you know, things, things fall into life the way they're, they're meant to be. And um, I came into that position. I had been teaching at a school in Denver in the post-secondary world, which is where a lot of us went to cosmetology and hairstyling school, was in the post-secondary private occupational yeah. schools. Um, and our daughter was considering, when she was in high school at the time, because I've been there nine years now, um, uh, she was considering doing a program there. And... Um, we happened to run into, at the time, principal of the school, and she said, you know, so what do you do? And as soon as I told her, she's like, oh, my God, we need to talk because somebody is retiring. <laughs> and it was one of those things where there's only ever been three staff, and there's never a vacancy unless somebody retires or leaves or passes away. Um, and it was just one of those situations where, you know, yeah. The paths crossed, and it was it was meant to be. And um, from teaching many years in post-secondary technical education, and now nine years in public education, I got to tell you, I love this. I love being able to teach in a public school. Um, the opportunities and the connections that I've been able to make, and the bridges that I've been able to to merge. Um, I was not able to do in the post-secondary private occupational world um, because many of those schools, um, they, they run the private occupational schools, and I don't want to knock them because I did work in some very good ones. They work in a world where um, it has a lot to do with, with dollars and cents first. And then we can look at all the other parts. Yeah. And in the public sector, it's it's education all the way, baby. And that's what I love. I love it. And we're thankful that we get the budgets we get and we learn to make them work. It's like a one-man show. We got to do everything. Um, but, <laughs> the theater, uh, the theater. It's yeah, yeah. It's, more, it's right? just like that. So, <laughs> so um, learning to recycle stuff, all the things we do in production, it, a lot of it relates to, to um, what I do in, in public education. But um, the fact that students uh, pay, they pay the kit rental fee and that's all they pay. There's, it's all funded by, by taxpayer money. And we are grateful for that. I feel like that's kind of not what I'm running. I probably should be a better business person um, <laughs> because all of the schools, you know, it is all about the money and not necessarily, not all of them, like you said, but right. the the education and, and what you're turning out is not necessarily as important where I'm coming here from the school kind of in the same mindset that you are and that it's so important to foster um, talent and potential and help people on their path. And especially now in a pandemic, that doesn't always translate to thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. <laughs> right. right. Uh, so it's working with people and figuring out how to make those next artists have the opportunities to do what we do. Exactly. And do it in a, in a, a manner that maintains the integrity 
and um, and respect of the the art that it deserves. Exactly. So that's we, such a cool school that you're. I would totally take forensics. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's they the educators are all you know career career professionals. They've been in it for years, and some some like me are still working in it. Um, others are are you know career educators, you know in in their field. Um, some have been teaching there a long time. Um, some are you know mid stage. Um, we have very great directorship. Arlie Huffman, our director, um, we are so thankful for him for for um, steering steering Boulder Tech and helming it in in the right directions. Um, and it's a good Boulder Valley School District. It's a good school district. So I again, you know, I. I I get on my knees and I say thank you for for all the things um, that have come. Um, with all the things we do, which which would include like teaching, teaching and production work, wigs and makeup for for the production work as well, um, we can't take it with us. We can't take it with us when we go. We have to instill it into the next wave of all the young artists that want to break out and, and go into you know various parts of our industry, hairstyling, wig making, makeup. Mm -hmm. um, it, we just can't, we cannot take it with us. They, they have to be inspired, they have to be motivated, and we have to deliver the skill set. Because if they don't have the skill set, um, the, the art and craft won't survive, and the, the quality will go down. We know, um, we know from watching different productions, whether it's television or or film or even stage, when you see you know things go out there, and you're like, oh my, you know that could have been that could have been so much better. And then the ones that we see are like, oh my god, that's that is brilliant. Um, so the we ones have that to keep you delivering. see, and you're like, I am a hack <laughs> when you watch. Yes. Like yeah. Really gorgeous ones. Yeah. Like, what am I doing over here? Look at that. Like, yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. Which inspires us to want mm -hmm. to be better at what we do, to continue doing um, the professional development workshops and continuing to educate ourselves to be better at our game. And that's always that's always been my thing. And I go I go every year to to something. Um, and I bring it directly back, of course, to uh, the classroom because, again, you know, can't can't take it with us. We've we've got to inspire the young, creative minds, um, and the old ones too. <laughs> yeah. It's so important to stay inspired, and I think, especially right now, hence doing this interview uh, to inspire people. But um, looking back on your youth and stuff, what was it? Like, did you always know you wanted to do hair and stuff in some way? Or, you know, did you want to be a rock star when you were 12? Like, what did, uh, what did young Richard want to do? <laughs> How did you get here, um, Richard? <laughs> well, I know that I always liked movies. I always, and my dad was a big movie fan. I mean, he, he grew up during the Depression and everybody went to the movies. You know, oh. before TV, it was like radio or movies and everybody went to the movies. And, and uh, so I grew up watching a lot of great old films when they used to have them on regular TV, before cable, regular TV, and watched all these great old, and I did always love that. And of course, my folks took us to the movies, and they took us to, to see you know, some live things, which was always to be in a theater, you know, it was just this other world. It was very cool. 
Um, but if you would have ever told me that I was going to be a hairstylist or a barber when I was a kid, I would have told you you were nuts. My, I remember distinctly going, my dad was off doing some graduate school training and my mom had my sister and I in the summer probably pulling her hair out. <laughs> and there were some times when we had to go to the hairdresser with her. So oh. I'm, re I'm remembering this place that was all done in this faux kind of Louis, <laughs> Louis the 16th blue shag carpet and the chandelier, you know, very, very 60s and big bullet dryers and ladies under there, you know, with rollers and everything. And some ladies getting like more mod with the sassoon that was starting to come out. Um, and my mom was one of those. Um, but, you know, my sister and I just being so bored, you, uh, you know, you'll go sit down, you know, we just didn't want to be in there. Um, but I had a, I had a friend who uh, was working in the industry and um, she was cutting my hair and she said, you know, you should consider this industry. It's creative. You can make a living and there's a lot of opportunities in it. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll give barber school a go. I'll give it a go. And when I got into it, I'm like, okay, this is, there's something about this that I like. Men's hair at the time though was very limiting. It's very limiting then, not like what it is now. Yeah. Um, so I went back to school after working a little while um, to get a cosmetology license to learn more about ladies' hairstyling. And I am thankful that I learned from some old school barbers and hairstylists because they, again, they come from that time when everything was live. You weren't doing all this stuff on mannequins and you better know it. I mean, you better know it. So they made you know it. And like learning finger waves for the first time, I'm like, what is this? I don't know, but it's really cool. I'm making a mess. I don't care, but I'm loving this, you know, and all that hand setting, which is an art. The millennial kids, it's it's so far removed from, yeah. from their mindset of, of hairstyling. So um, I do have them go through a foundation of all that hand setting that art of hand setting. Um, it's just such a valuable skill. Mm -hmm. And in 2021, bigger hair is coming back. Oh, so that's God. going to require them to get used to putting volume in the hair and not all this flat ironing. They don't even call it a flat iron. They call it a straightener. They're just <laughs> flat ironing all this hair. Everything flat, flat, flat. No. It's going to get big again, so we're we're gonna we're gonna go back to creating that bigness. But but uh, getting into ladies' hair and then working in in salons where we had you know both clientele coming in. Um, but it wasn't until I got into teaching, and then um, when wigs got handed over to me, you're like. Always Patsy Klein was the longest cabaret show running in Denver history at the time at, at the old Galleria uh, uh, Theater, which is still down there in the Denver Center Complex. And the wigs were handed over to me by a former student who was also a wig maker. And, um, and I was like, oh, my God, I've, I've got to learn this. I've just got to learn it. <laughs> um, so I, I found... Uh, the wig makers to to bring me along, um, and I'm thankful again for all of all of that 
teaching and, and mentoring. Um, Lee, Lee Barnett Dombrowski at, at Colorado Shakespeare Fest. Um, Carol Chambers from the UK, um, and who was at the Banff Center of the Arts for a number of years. And then I lived up there for a period and, and learned from, from her. Um, Diana Benkiki, who is, who is still at Denver Center. Um, and then going from always Patsy Cline and some local theater productions to working on Tantalus. <laughs> Talk about getting thrown in the fire. Tantalus, <laughs> which was uh, a 10 and a half hour Greek trilogy of the Trojan War written by John Barton. It took him almost 20 years to write that production and uh, uh, directed by Sir Peter Hall and his son, Edward Hall. Yeah. Japanese lighting designer, Greek um, costume and, and set designer, international cast. Um, it was an incredible experience, incredible experience. Um, and, you know, with masks and blood and body makeup and Everything. battles and, you know, it was, and, uh, I remember then when we first got audiences and hearing over the the backstage speaker, the audience applause at the end, and I was like, you know, this is so bizarre that I <laughs> I am doing this. Um, what year was that, Tantalus? Um, it was uh, two thousand, the fall of two thousand. Yeah, because so they were here for a world. year working on that production. Uh, Sir P so I went to University of Houston for my undergrad, and Sir Peter Hall was great friends with Dr. Sidney Berger, who was our head of the theater department and the Shakespeare program there. And so Sir Peter Hall was in Houston. Oh, my God. I was in college from 98 to 2002. So he was in and out a lot during that time period. And we got to, like, sit in on classes that he would teach. And I remember that happening but i couldn't remember what date such a small world it was it was a mammoth thing to to pull off um at the time one of the most expensive theater productions to to have been put on stage they could see a marathon and see the entire 10 and a half hours in one day with like breakfast lunch and dinner and you know in between, or they could see it in installments, in sections. Amazing. Um, and then it, after we closed it, it went on a tour of uh, the UK. Oh my gosh, and I'll have to go back and look really up well photos and, and things. Are there particular, um, kind of touching on Shakespeare a little bit because um, I do love him. Um, yes. are, <laughs> are there any of his plays that you find particularly inspiring that you have worked on or that you would like to? Um, we did a number of Shakespeare plays at, at Denver Center. Um, they were they were always well attended, always. Yeah. Um, when 9-11 happened, we were in this conundrum of, you know, what's going to happen here at the theater? Um, are people going to be spending money? People were kind of panicking. The economy was kind of getting wonky, you know, the stock market, blah, 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 because all those things always affect it. And um, we did incredible Shakespeare uh, plays during, during those years. They're always, always 
um, well attended. Um, measure for measure, Hamlet, um, all's well that ends well. Um, <clears throat> Midsummer Night's Dream is my all-time fave. I, I, there's something about the, 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 the magic of that play. I mean, they're all magic, but the, the magic of that play in a, in a mystical forest and, and a king and queen of, of fairies and transforming people into yeah. you know partial animal and, and the love interest. It's, it's something just very magical about one. That one's always a fave. But um, they they had strong production value, and they continue down at Denver Center to have strong production value. Um, so they were always a, a visual feast to to look at. Um, and playing around with different time periods when Shakespeare plays can also be very fun, oh, when, they, fun. When, they, when they tweak it a bit. Um, but, From a styling perspective, are you? Um, a designer stylist that enjoys working more with period pieces? And if so, are there certain periods that you kind of are drawn to, or do you like more um, mainstream modern day um, period pieces? I will always call it <clears throat> walking the tightrope between the two worlds. Um, in, in years that I was out on the road with uh, the product line, Aquage, as part of their, their artistic team, um, Luis Alvarez, our, our mentor and, and director, um, was always moving us towards the modern. You, know, you could take something from the past, but you have to learn how to, how to make it look modern. You gotta, you gotta push the boundaries of that shape. So he was always, seeing the historical hairstyling aspect in me, mm -hmm. but saying, you know, it can't go out. Look, you got to do this with it. And it was learning to walk those two tight ropes. I, I love period hairstyling. Again, there's, there's such an art to it that um, on, on one hand we we've lost, but on another hand, um, we can gain by ensuring that, again, that we're going to instill that training into, into the young creative minds. Um, I am so thankful that it was taught to me because um, I continue to show it to my students and, and yeah. try to open their, their minds with it. But I love, I love vintage hairstyling. I think the, the 40s was a really interesting time period for women's hair because of all of these larger uh, conicular geometric looking shapes with, with volume. And of course, again, all handset of uh, what was happening with waves that were, that were getting, you know, softer and, and longer, the sleekness of it. Um, it was kind of shifting from art deco to art modern and, and you know, Everybody had pads, even men had pads. <laughs> Everything was very tailored, you know. Um, they were You're a man like, after my own heart. I'm obsessed in, with that's, It's just a beautiful look. Um, so I, I see when I, when I look at those things and then I see uh, like slight returns with like the rockabilly set, you know, there was a return of, of that, those looks. I'm like, yeah. And then when burlesque came back and people were and like Dita Von Teese and I'm like, I Dying. love her, love her, you know, and I'm always looking at that, but that's, that's one of the periods that I, I, I just love being able to play with. Um, and it seems the productions I work on more have been in time periods 
um, than something more content. There's been a few contemporary along the way that have been fun to play with where I got to use the actor's own hair and transform them a bit. Um, but I did Mamma Mia at Arvada Center for the Arts, which is another venue that I work with here. Great venue, great venue under the helm of, of Philip Sneed. And um, <clears throat> working with uh, costume designers there that have been great, um, Claire Henkel um, and Janice Benning, who is also down at, at DU. Um, we did Mamma Mia, which of course is a modern piece oh, and got to... Uh, do you know long, long and layers and beach wavy, you know, and and just be able to style it out with a flat iron, you know, and not have to do you know all the setting that we normally do, you know. So it was fun to create something a little more contemporary um, for something like that, especially a musical work. You know, everybody's moving, everybody's oh, yeah. moving, um, and we, you know, we do those things when we work between the the different worlds. Um, with with wigs and and hair pieces between what's going to happen with it in a play or what's going to happen in a musical, and then comes the world of dance. And you know this from from working with Houston Ballet, they're moving all over the place doing things you you would not believe that they do with their bodies when you're watching them backstage and they're they're warming up. Like, and they're tiny. I mean, they're they're this big, and then all of a sudden, boom, these muscles start popping out all over the place, and they're stretching in positions. I'm like, oh my god, I don't know. Your body must be made of rubber. Um, but those pieces are on there through all of, and they better not fall off. Well, Dances. I always joked with um, the acrobats in in Ka at Cirque because. <laughs> at the ballet we would do we would have to pin their wigs on and they want blood like they want to know that that wig is not coming off because they have spins and turns and leaps and all of these things happening and so we would do like lock pins you know pull them in turn it and then do it and um they would say oh make sure my wig is on really good at ka and i'm like okay and so i would do a lock pin and they're like Hello, hello, hello. No, 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 no. And I'm like, you said you don't want this to come off. And they're like, oh my God, Megan. Staple gun. Yeah. <clears throat> I was like, well, yeah. it's not moving. And they were like, I can't even see. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> it's a whole, I mean, and it, they're going on stage and spinning and on apparatus, apparatus that are, you know, moving and stuff, but they they didn't feel they needed it on as tight as the ballet dancers. But it's so true. It's they're it, all different animals. Yeah, it's it's just learning learning the the different modes of of production. Um, you know, opera. There's a lot of standing and sing. I mean, there can be you know the the choreography bits, pending what's happening in the story. But there's you know there's just a lot of that aria delivery involved. Um, but they're profusely sweating. So you've got a sweaty piece. You've got to reset. We did Cyrano one year, um, so you know there was the the series of noses, Nose. series of noses, and um, uh, Kevin Copenhaver uh, designed those. Um, he was who's now at DU um, on a 
on, on a pandemic leave, I would say from Denver Center. When Denver Center returns, I'm sure he will return. Um, incredible uh, costume crafts and costume designer, um, but he did he did all of the the noses, and um, you know we had to have noses for. <laughs> Noses for every show, of course. They were made out of gelatin, so they were very flesh-like, very realistic. And I saved them all. I had like literally, literally a bag, <laughs> huge Ziploc bag of oh, all really? these, all these noses. It looked like something from CSI. Yeah, all these noses that I had saved. Um, but when you have an, you find out things when you have an actor that's really sweaty. Certain types of adhesives will break down, so it's always finding the right adhesive. Of course, the ones they have out now are amazing, but amazing. even even back then, um, you know, we were still, you got this or you got this. It's prosate or spirit gum, and you know, it's finding out which one is 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 going to work. Um, plus, there was the wig and the makeup over it, and the costuming, and the actor was a big guy, Bill Chris, big guy very sweaty. So at the end of every play, um, Cyrano's wig was just, it was a sweaty rag. So it literally had to be reset every for every show. And then when you're doing those period pieces like, like the 20s and 30s where you've got all these very tight finger waves and bobs coming in, and of course they all wore hats. So one smash with a hat in the way are gone. So in between every show and every night at the end of, of the shows, um, you're retaping all those waves and, you know, it's, it's work, but um, it's, God, it's just like the most creative world, the most creative world. Um, and everything's live. So you're doing it right there. You can't go off camera to fix something or, you know, cut and da, da, da. We're going to, do this it's live and it's got you know it's well rehearsed weld oil machine and it's got to go out there every night now when you um are teaching your high school students because they can they can go many different paths right mm -hmm. they can go into just kind of straight beauty they can go into salon they can go into film or television they could go into theater there's so many different options right um we're chatting about shows and people listening might be like, gosh, there's a lot of like plays and things that they're discussing that um, I've never heard of that one. Or if my question is, if you are teaching your high school students about all of their options and they're interested in theater, but are not so sure they want to go to theater school, um, do you recommend that they kind of read the the basic staples and get familiar with um, plays and things. So they have, because it can feel very overwhelming. I think when you get into people that live in that world and they start talking about things and right. you come in as a baby and you're like, I don't know anything right. that you're talking about. Oh yeah. Oh I yeah. That with the high school students. Well, luckily with I mean, one of the, other benefits of, of teaching in a public high school, LA is embedded in our programs, in our tech programs, LA is embedded. They're earning high school English credit within our tech programs. So we're able to in, embed the English as it would pertain to our industry. So with um, experiential extended learning, and I'm huge on that getting getting out of the four walls and getting into the real yeah um i write grants every year and then i i pray to the grant gods that i get the grants um 
and they've shined on me. So I've been lucky so far. Um, I take them to see a production and to cross over into LA, we, we look at the production that we are, are seeing. We look at the time period. We look at you know the context of the play and what's what's happening in the story. We look at uh, the time period in terms of how they wore their hair, how they dressed, da da da. How does that filter into the play? So I'm able to to bridge to bridge all that. Um, but for those students also that are that are wanting to enter into that aspect of the entertainment industry theater opera dance even film television because you're telling a story you got you got to know it so you better read that script you have to read that script and working with the costume designers to to help create that character yeah that's it's huge you've you've got to or you just you'll you will struggle um, because you're not going to understand how it all needs to, to come together as a, as a cohesive unit. That wig does not look right because that wig is not right for that character. That character would not wear their hair that way. So now it needs to be redone. You, you, you've really got to understand that context. So reading the script and knowing the period. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just so interesting. I, you know, going into grad school, I was like, I'm going to get my graduate degree. So if I ever want to teach, I can teach on the college level because I don't ever want to teach high school. But I have to say my feelings on that are slightly changed now being in more of an educator role, more full time and um, having discussions with very well intentioned young people who are super clear on the path that they want to take. And it's like dealing with a whole different human being that just happens to be young, <laughs> mm -hmm. that knows what they want to do. And um, I think that all of this comes together in teaching people that it's not just one person creating a show. It's yes. like you said, it's the collaboration of it is so important and understanding your role in that collaboration and I'm just so happy that you're there and so passionate about it and teaching all of these young people so many amazing things. I, I love it. Um, I never thought, I never thought that I would be teaching what I do. And then after years in teaching it in, in the, uh, post-secondary, uh, level, um, I never thought that I would be teaching in the secondary public school level. Um, but it has been great. Um, I've had people <laughs> ask me, when, when are you, are you going to retire? When are you going to retire? Are you retire? I'm... No, no. I will be doing what I do for as long as I can do it. I, I, I just, it's like, what else would I do? This has been my life. I live it and I love it. Um, I love my work. And I will just continue to uh, educate and create um, for as long as I can. It's just, it's just how it's like breathing. It's how I breathe. It's how I, it's how I relate to, to the world basically um, is through my work. Um, thankful for all of my students there. They inspire me and motivate me every day um, and keep me on my toes. 
Um, <laughs> and so thankful for um, productions when when they they fall into uh, my lap. Um, and with with the light coming, with pandemic, the light is coming now. It is. Um, you know, things will start to to open up. And I've had people ask that question. You know, well, do you think you know, you know, is this the end of you know live? Is or are we not going to you know? Is this not going to? No, no. It's gonna it's gonna come back. A because we want it to, and B because they're missing it. All the people that normally go to any type of live performance, they're missing it terribly. Again, it's it's that human condition, that human connection, and yeah. we've realized from the pandemic, you know, how much how much we really need each other. We really do. And um, when you go to experience, you know, live performance, it's it's a it's a way of connecting. Yeah, so I mean, and theater has been back. around since the beginning, you know, time immemorial. Yeah. And I think that going and sharing stories and watching people. Um, tell stories that might reflect your life or give you sure. insight into uh, into life and it's the drinks before and the drinks after and chatting with people you haven't seen in the lobby and sitting next to them and going to the you know have the concession it's the all of it yeah that that connection is so important and and i tell people the same thing you know it will be back we're just we're on pause for a minute right. and right. most of the artists that I talk to that are my friends and um, that aren't working, they are taking this time because we're all, you know, slightly workaholics. And um, <laughs> so to have a, a break has been nice. And then they also um, are learning new skills or honing yes. skills, you know, in this time. So it's, it's been fruitful for most people. I think we are in, in performing arts, we're, we're used to the feast and the famine. We're, yeah. we're used to it um, beyond pan pandemic. You know, we, we were used to that. So we'll do what we have to do to, to survive those feast or famine times. And um, this was a big, <laughs> this was a big famine, but uh, the feast time is coming. So I always say to people, you know, get ready, get ready, you know, have your stuff ready um, yeah. because we will be diving back in. Yeah, we will. And I cannot wait. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hear you. Hear you, feel you. Absolutely. Um, before we go, because it's already been almost an hour, which is crazy. I mean, this has just been so lovely to sit and chat with you for you a too. little bit. Um, is there any kind of motto or thing that you find yourself coming back to uh, on the daily or on the weekly to keep you inspired or motivated? Mm-hmm. Um, Claude Monet said, creativity takes courage. And it does. Um, to put the work out there and not know how, how it's going to be received. Photo shoot, live production, um, in the salon, you know, it, it's always um, a very subjective thing. So uh, creativity takes courage but you must continue to create, you must. Um, it is how we motivate and inspire each other. Um, and we have to continue to do that, we must. Yes, I absolutely could not agree more. That's just perfectly put. Thank you so much, Richard, for joining. You're welcome, today. thanks for having me. 
Um, for those of you that are listening, you can definitely check this out uh, in podcast form if you can't watch our beautiful faces on your screen <laughs> um, on Apple and Spotify and Google. And uh, follow Behind the Biz for more fun interviews. I think I'm going to circle back with you in the summer and kind of see how your spring your spring semester went. I'm super interested. There will be a photo shoot, I am happy to say. Oh. There will be a photo shoot. Um, and there might be something uh, down at DU um, with the theater department down there. Um, possibly uh, Lonesome West, um, that trilogy of Irish plays. Yeah. Um, which that one takes place late seventies, early eighties. So I, I envision a mullet coming. <laughs> which mullets are back, so you know, hey, let's ride with that, you know. So and and maybe even a perm. Uh, so we'll see how we'll see what happens. We'll see what transpires. Ah, uh, yes. Well, stay tuned. We'll schedule that up for the summertime, and we'll uh, maybe have a little, a little cabana and stuff, and we'll chat. Fun. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Until next time, stay safe and stay creative. Thank you for joining us today on Behind the Bits, conversations with artists and entertainment. You can also check out this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. See you next time.